Maybe you should stop talking so softly. Yeah. I'll just start. I'll just yell into the mic for everything I'm saying. That's right. Really not, or it would pick it up. <laughs> you can be the Stephen A. Smith of our <laughs> little. That's a good idea. Little show. <laughs> just scream everything. But like really big words, so I sound really smart. And also challenge the Carolina Panthers players when they come at you on Twitter. Do that. Uh, too, and you'll be. <laughs> I've I've never tweeted. I'll just like I have a Twitter account of all the people. I'll just I'll just come out of the gates firing and, and just start harassing all the players every time they make a bad play. There you go. Hello, welcome to the CSR podcast, Fourth and Short. I'm here with Bradley Smith and uh, John D. Long. How are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. Great. Are we doing fantastic? I mean, that uh, that Titans preseason game, despite the fact that it was completely meaningless, was a little bit rough to watch in the beginning. Eh, it, uh, was, it was like five, four days ago, five days ago. I'm over it. Yeah. yeah. I was mad for like five minutes, and then that was it. So, And honestly, what I was mad at wasn't even the fact that we lost. I was mad that the game potentially could have went into overtime. Like, it was 27-27 with like two minutes to go. That That's what made me mad. You know, Do you think if- preseason games aren't supposed to go to overtime. In fact, there should be a rule against it. Like, if the teams are tied at the end of the game – you know, each team should get one series, and that's it. Like, four downs, that's it. That's all you get. And if the score is tied at the end of it, the game's over. If one of the two teams has the lead, the game's over. My, my you fir- know, there's no point in it. I want to see a situation where a game goes into overtime, and then there's just like a handshake agreement at the coin toss. Like, hey, we're just going to let you run this kickback for a touchdown so we can go home. Yeah, that's what that I would, would do be fine, too. That's what I would do, too. I would just, if I'm kicking off, I'd be like, hey, guys, just run it back. We don't care. We're done here. Yeah, we we want to go home, especially if you're the road team. You know, yeah. we got to get home. We we got we got a bus to catch. Yeah, we've got all the practice. Well, we like need. on top of that, you you may not have noticed this in the past, but a lot of times in preseason games, they end up just going for two or going for the touchdown late in the game because, like, why do you want to keep your guys out there and take that risk? So, I don't think that the two teams would have let that happen. But if it did, it would have been totally hilarious. Just saying. Yeah, we took it. Um, well, I was actually happy that, that the, the Titans <laughs> stack fumbled Garrett Gilbert on like the five yard line. Cause I knew they were going to score. Yeah. We took a chance by tying the game up when we scored with like five minutes left or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Banking on the fact that like, right, one of us is bound to score in the rest of this game. So it was a bold move it paid off in the best way possible, but it was, I think the most frustrating thing about the game was just that um, it took so long for the Panthers to actually do anything. I said this in my offensive preview. Uh, Derrick Henry's touchdown that the Titans scored, that 17-yard run, was their 22nd play from scrimmage. The Panthers had run five at that point, and it was 17 to nothing after five Panthers plays. Yeah, the first quarter was ugly. Which we could get into uh, our quarterback takes. If you guys wanted to share that, 
I know we talked about it a little bit last week with the Joe Webb and Derek Anderson thing, and I was I was on the bandwagon the the train that says uh it's just one preseason game, no no need to take anything out of it, but it's just it's really bad. Anderson looks really really bad. Yeah, he he doesn't look bad per se. He looks like the game has passed him by. Like he looks old. He looks like I guess would be the he looks like be he the better way to put it when he throws ball more than 19 yards down the field like his, his last three throws were like so far off it was like he was just kind of throwing it in the direction of a receiver and hoping they got to it like it was like a like a Carson Wentz deep ball type of situation where just chuck yeah. it up and hope they get to it and they were just missing wildly and there was yeah, one I, where I where I specifically saw Derek Anderson make the throw like off his back foot and then you saw him turned around afterwards and the ball just sailed overhead I mean like I don't know if it's just a situation where he's just trying to throw it up and let the receivers make a play, since obviously the main, the you know preseason doesn't matter. But that's definitely concerning, since that's your primary backup at the moment. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Webb is like one of the highest graded quarterbacks in pro football focus right now for the preseason. You know, like it's definitely scary to see that this quarterback, who's been consistently pretty good for Carolina aside from last year. Um, suddenly just coming off the, the wagon with his throws and stuff. You know, it's, I don't know if he's just taking more chances or if it's just that he doesn't have it anymore, but it's definitely concerning that yeah. he's doing so poorly in the preseason when the defense is not giving them what they would see in the regular season. It's it. Um, The other thing is, like, the thing that Joe Webb brings, I don't think it's a big deal that he's mobile in the terms of it's going to, like, keep our offense the same, like calling read options and stuff. But it adds that it just – a quarterback's job is a lot easier when they can move. It opens up the field for them. It makes it harder for defenses to play man. It makes it where there's always eyes in the backfield and passers just have to be more contained. I mean, Joe Webb did a couple Houdinis. Derek Anderson will do no Houdinis. And even if, if, if neither of them can throw, I'd rather have the guy that can Houdini his way to some first downs, at least help move the ball somewhat. Well, yeah, I think that I think that, too. I think Joe Webb is better suited in that backup role, because like you said, he can actually move the ball uh, even if he can't throw it. He can move it. He can, as Hank Stram would say, he can matriculate it down the field. And, you know, that's important. And I I think the the problem with Derek Anderson is that he 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 has Jake DeLome disease like he has. One day he's fine, and then the next day it's just gone. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if age caught up with him. I don't. I don't know, but it's not coming back. I mean, he was never that great to begin with. He was always mediocre. That's why he's a backup. He made a Pro Bowl, but, uh, Brad. He did make the Pro Bowl, but that's because he was like the seventh alternate in the AFC. Like half the quarterbacks um, in the NFL make the Pro Bowl. Yeah, either. yeah, but you know, it's. Now's time to do it. If if you're going to get rid of a backup quarterback, you have to do those things a year too soon rather than a year too late. We learned that in 2009, you know, 2000, yeah, 2009, uh, when we got rid of Jake DeLome finally. We learned that we made that call a year too late, and it was a disaster. So, you know, I know he's just the backup, but you don't want to go into a season with your backup quarterback being a potential disaster. And I don't think that Joe Webb would be any worse 
than what Derek Anderson is. And then you've got Garrett Gilbert, who could be your third quarterback if you want to keep three quarterbacks. And, you know, I know the counter argument is going to be, well, Joe Webb does this, that, and everything else on special teams, but we have enough guys to fill that role now. We've signed Russell Shepard. He plays special teams. We have Fozzie Whitaker still. We have Colin Jones. We have, um, you know, plenty of other guys who can who can fill that void so Joe Webb doesn't have to play special teams. And for goodness sakes, we've got to have somebody else who can return kickoffs than Joe Webb. I mean, he's pretty bad at it. It's, so. a, weird, it's a weird dynamic having your third-string quarterback be also your kickoff returner. I would think Anderson's yeah, I mean, safe for this year at the least just because he's uh, he's better than Gilbert at this point still and just the, the locker room, film film room presence. But, yeah, it's I think it's uh, – it would be time this next offseason to see what else is out there, evaluate other options. So, I mean, at least we're not Jacksonville and we're not having this discussion about our starting (laughs) quarterback. Right, right. So speaking of uh, Derek Anderson, Joe Webb, uh, impressions from the preseason game. What did you guys – I'll start with you, John. Uh, What did you like the most and what did you like the least from the preseason game against the Titans? Uh, the least would be the turnovers and just how bad they were. And specifically, and I'll, I'll get to this actually in a second. After this. I was most impressed more. I think we gave up two big runs. Big runs are bad, uh, actually. But the other, like, I think it was 33 carries for their running backs outside of the two big runs went for, like, 64 yards. So <clears throat> we did, we've had, we've given up two big carries and we've given a big carries in each of the first two games but if we can cut those out like on a play-to-play basis the run defense has been ex- very very stout it's just the, the the occasional leak where the big play gets by um Devin Funch is, is I'm really losing patience with him I just he's just like what's he good at fumbling the ball apparently I mean, yeah it's just one play and I'm not gonna like take you know hold that one play against him but it's just kind of like it's been two years, and he's starting his third year, and he's been a starter in the preseason games, and just he just doesn't look any different, and he's he wasn't good to start with. So, he, I feel like he's on thin ice. He's going to make the team this year, but he's he's no lock to stay on the team for much longer if he doesn't start to show something. I don't care how old he is. All right, Brad, what were your uh? strongest like and dislike of the uh, Titans game? Well, John kind of stole my answer because my biggest dislike was the the turnover at the beginning and then just the the inability to tackle Derrick Henry and, and Flew Ellen. Um, you know, it just, they looked like men playing with children, so it was kind of disconcerting to see that. Uh, I was, however, impressed with the second unit making it, making it a game. You know, it was like 24 to seven or something like that at point. and yeah it was nice to see that the second team came out and actually made it look like a better game than it was yeah it is i was surprised it was like i kind of I, I missed the beginning of the second half and i was like oh whoa this game we might actually still win the game didn't expect that when it was yeah. 17 to nothing in 13 minutes into the game so uh my biggest dislike and likes so my biggest like to stray away from what you guys said was uh, David Mayo. He looked really good as the primary backup for the linebackers, and I think he's going to really fill in and do well and kind of replace that 
hole that AJ Klein left when he left. I think he's going to be a strong backup at all three positions. I mean, he had several good tackles. He had a couple pass deflections. Uh, he really impressed me because he was playing with the first team defense and even the second team defense. And he was continuing to make plays no matter who was on the field. And, uh, the one thing I will mention too, is the fact that the Titans kept their number one offensive lineman and who that Titans offensive line is one of the better lines in the NFL while Carolina had like their twos and threes in there. So, I'm not as overly concerned about the run game, but the one guy that really concerned me was, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> Daryl Worley. That's who it was. Um, uh, Worley allowed a few easy completions. Like James Bradbury showed he can crash down on those short routes where it comes up, you know, a few yards short of where he's at. He came down and crashed and made a couple pass deflections, a good, a few good tackles, Worley didn't really show that to me. And the one touchdown with uh, Delaney Walker, where Walker scored, uh, Billy made a really good film review of this. But it was initially we all thought it was Michael Adams fault, but it was actually Worley's fault. Adams supposed to be there for the curl route. And uh, Worley was supposed to drop back on the corner route and Worley didn't. And it was a very easy looking touchdown where you're sitting there being like, "Okay, blown coverage. And that was entirely Worley's fault. So he may have some growing ahead, despite that's, the hype that we've seen. It was very reminiscent of the play that got Josh Norman benched against the Bills way back. It was then. damn near exactly the same play. It was like the honest. exact same yeah. route combination, the same miscommunication in the back. It was all that. So maybe Worley will get benched for this year, and then he'll come back halfway through next year and show out. Or, but that's that wouldn't be good. We, yep. We kind of need him now. So speaking of needing people now, that Jags quarterback situation, that's uh, it's a oh, mess. that reminds me of the 2010 Panthers, with Jimmy <laughs> Clausen and Matt Moore and uh, Brian St. Pierre and, uh, oh God, what was his name? Uh, Tony Pike, like just no good, situ- good, no good real answers. So uh, Brad, I'll start with you. What do you think of that whole thing? I, I can't help but feel sorry for Jacksonville fans because this is Blake Bortles is the second quarterback they've taken in the top 10 since 2011. That has not worked out at all because they drafted Blaine Gabbert the same Solid year that point. we got Cam Newton. And when you have two top 10 quarterbacks drafted and both of them fail miserably, you have to look at what you're looking for in a quarterback and write that down on a piece of paper and then light it on fire because whatever it is that you're looking for isn't good enough. Blake Bortles was, he was overdrafted in the first place. He never should have been drafted third overall. They could have had Derek Carr. Um, They could have had, uh, there was one other quarterback that was, that was pretty good. They could have had. Is that the same draft? Yeah. Bridgewater. That was it. Bridgewater. Bridgewater. Those guys aren't from the Florida area. I'm sure that's the same thing with Jared Goff. They want that local kid. Gives you a little extra little extra leeway with the fans, or that would be your hope that uh, they're going to give a little extra patience to the local kid because they want him to succeed. Yeah, I think that might be what they're they're doing. Well, they need to relocate somewhere because they <laughs> the quarterbacks they've drafted have not been, you know, any good at all. And, you know, it, it us going there on Thursday is – 
gives us the perfect opportunity to solve a problem for two teams at one time. Yes. All we have to do is leave Derek Anderson off of the team plane in Jacksonville and just go home with like a, a bag of footballs or a, a third round pick for next year or, you know, Allen Robinson or, that you know, sounds fair. That's my favorite. Whatever, you know, but it we we leave them Derek Anderson. He starts for them. He probably wins them five games, which is more than Blake Bortles is going to win for them. We don't have to cut Derek Anderson. We don't have to have a backup quarterback controversy. We use Joe Webb as our quarterback too, and then we have Garrett Gilbert as our third string quarterback. And everybody's problems are solved. <laughs> my favorite thing about the whole situation is that this quarterback battle is between the the you know the young guy that's been underachieving and the guy that he originally replaced when he got drafted four years ago, like they it's not yeah. like a new guy has come in and they're like oh they brought in some competition for Blake Bortles it's just kind of like they've just gradually been like you know what maybe that guy that we replaced used him to replace is actually not as bad as this guy and it's just coming full circle and yeah bad. and yeah and it it it's almost like what what could the Jaguars do if there was a former uh, Super Bowl quarterback who is a free agent? Uh, he's young. Uh, he has a strong arm. Kind of mobile, maybe. Kind of mobile. He's you know he can move in the pocket. He can run. He can gain yards with uh, with his feet. Um, he's very willing to work. Uh, he he will even play in Jacksonville. And, you know, I, I think he would answer the phone if they would give him a call. There's no way. Whoa, that whoa, I, I can't, whoa, whoa. I can't Brett, think of his name, though. I don't I, think I, that guy even exists. Not even a person. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Brett Favre has been retired for a while, <laughs> BW. Let's let's, let's <laughs> kill here for a minute. The, ever, the, the well-known mobility of Brett Favre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I can't think of the guy's name. It's Colin. Michael Colin, Vick? Some, Colin Vick? Colin something. Yeah. But you I think know, you're thinking of Michael Vick. I don't know who you're talking about. Michael Vick. Sounds oh, right. that that's right. It is, it's Michael Vick. Yeah. Um, no, you know, real talk. Jacksonville, call Colin Kaepernick. I mean, seriously, just call him, sign him, bring him in. Let's end the circus. Let's put him on the field. He's better than than Blake Bortles. He's better than Chad Henney. He's better than whoever your third string quarterback is. He's better than any other quarterback you can feasibly sign right now. And at you know? worst, you're going to lose like eight fans because that's probably not all they have. Yeah, at yeah, at worst, you're going to lose eight fans. And if you go four and twelve, so what? That's what you're going to do anyway with Chad Henney and Blake Bortles. You're going to go and. You know, one argument against signing Colin Kaepernick, and it makes sense to me, there are like five or six quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft who are potentially first-rounders that could be really good. If they sign Kaepernick, he might be too good, and they might not be able to get one of them. You know, Colin Kaepernick could probably go nine and seven with, with Jacksonville, and that's probably the worst thing they want. So they're probably going to roll with Henny and go four and twelve, get the third pick in the draft, and then draft the wrong quarterback again. Do you know what they're going to do? Because everybody does this, and it's the same thing the Broncos did with Paxton Lynch and the Jaguars with Blake Bortles a couple years ago. Is like you're going to find the big six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound 
white guy that has an okay to good arm, and then you're just going to teach him how to play NFL quarterback. Like, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, he's uh, big. He's pretty athletic. He's got a good arm. Uh, he's not very accurate. He's not very good at reading NFL defenses. Uh, he doesn't make good decisions. But uh, we'll just teach him all that stuff. We'll just teach him all the important things of being a quarterback. He's just he's – just, he's tall. That's the important thing that we can't teach. And it's the same yeah, thing like well, Bortles did. And it, ne- it seems like it never works. Like, the people – teams draft these quarterbacks with potential that have no actual, like, ability to play quarterback other than they can throw it kind of far sometimes. And it, it never works. It's like if, if they don't have it, they don't have it. Yeah, speaking of that, they could trade a, a draft pick to Cleveland who are trying to trade Brock Osweiler. It's the same uh, thing. Because, yeah. He's, yeah, he's tall and can't throw, but everybody, but he's tall. You know, I honestly thought that's who you were talking about. Because no, that's who it sounds it's, like. It's, you know, it's, um, it's like that was but, no, Blake Bortles falls in that category. Paxton Lynch falls into that category. It's just kind of like they don't show developed quarterback, like refined skills. It's just it's a they like look the part basically. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the thing I want to mention about Bortles. He obviously had that one year where he did pretty damn well with with Robinson and Hearns as his uh, wide receivers. But I think what what it really reminds me of is like the Derek Carr situation where like the guy was under pressure so much, the guy was, you know, ha- tasked with bringing them back because their defense sucked so much that you just kind of break them from uh, developing the habits they need to to be a successful quarterback. I mean, Aaron Rodgers got to sit behind Brett Favre for how many freaking years, and now he's like one of the most refined quarterbacks as far as his uh, – throwing technique and his footwork and stuff like that. Like the guy's, you know, prototypically one of the best quarterbacks in the league as far as his technique and throwing skill is concerned. But he didn't have to deal with being, getting the crap beat out of him his first few years while he's trying to learn the NFL. So, and Bortles just seems to have never like lost those bad habits he had even from the start of his, of his uh, career. So it, it stands to reason that a lot of these teams that have been, drafting quarterbacks high and then letting ride the bench, that might be the right call anymore. I mean, like, not every quarterback comes out who's the next Joe Flacco or Matt Ryan or Cam Newton. A lot of them end up getting broken for the rest of their careers because of the getting thrown to the wolves early on. I, that, there's definitely something to that. I think Aaron Rodgers would still be just about as good as he is if he came out, if he played right away. I think it's it does shake confidence, though. I think it's the biggest thing is a confidence thing, is that it's a lot just as a like human psychology, it's a lot easier to get shaken when you're 22 than when you're 26. Yeah. And once you get shaken, you get shook. It's kind of hard to recover from that. Cause that's what Blake Bortles looks like. He looks shook. Like he's doubting all his throws. He's not like driving into him. He doesn't trust what he sees. And it's, it's been getting worse and there's no reason to decline at this young of an age for anything other than mental reasons where you're just not, not trusting what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and it's also it doesn't help his case that he has some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I mean, he it does. would make it'd be one thing if he were throwing to Ted Ginn, Corey Brown, and Jericho Cotri, but he has Robinson and Hearns. He also has a good running game. You know, Marcus they have a good defense. They just either. yeah, they they just don't have a quarterback, and I don't know if they'll ever get one. I mean, they've never really had one. They just they got lucky a couple of years with with um, David Byron Leftwich and and David Gar- yeah David Garrard, and but you know 
other than that, they they've either had veterans past their prime or or rookies and young guys who didn't pan out. I think um, I don't know. Blake Bortles, even his second year, that his stats were much better. I can't remember what it was, but there was some insane amount of like his splits where like his first half passer rating was like awful and his fourth quarter passer rating was amazing just because they're always behind from the what how poorly they played early on in games and he was racking up the the, the late game stats but yeah well and then last year I can't I wish I could see it um hold on a second guys all right last yeah, here year, we go last year I wish we could see it um it was like he his pass rating was like it was like basically single digits in the first half because he was our first quarter he just throwing interceptions like there's nobody business and then the Jaguars on a whole rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, you can talk now. Oh, so uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, throwing to Philly Brown, Ted Ginn, and Devin Funches, so uh, Cam's gonna be back. Cam's gonna play his first preseason game this week. Sweet. No, yep. no nerves. Nobody's scared that he's gonna aggravate his shoulder. Uh, it seems like they're hold. They've been holding him back, and I, I know a lot of us have been saying that, but that, that's been an overblown story with him. Yeah. You know, oh, he's not throwing. Oh no, what's he gonna do? Meanwhile, like he comes out and throws a few passes in practice, and then practices fully. You know, for the last two days, so. It makes sense. I mean, like, like I've said before, you know, the guy hasn't thrown a pass since what, like. December of last year, like yeah, and full power. Yeah. So you gotta let him. You gotta let him like stretch that muscle out and you know rebuild that. So for him to come back now in the third preseason game, which is like the most important one for most of the starters, you know, he should be fine. Yeah, I think. And be we, fine too. glad. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with the Chad Henney, Blake Bortles type situation. Like we know, Cam Newton's gonna be the starter and probably a high end starter at that, as long as the offensive line holds up for him. So, but Curtis Samuel comes back as well. So pretty excited about that. He's going to get some reps. Yeah. I'm actually more excited about Curtis Samuel than I am Cam Newton. We know what Cam Newton can do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm happy that he's going to get a chance to play and get a little bit of live action to shake the rust off. Um, which I think isn't as big a deal as it's being made out to be because, I mean, they do run, like, full speed. And they don't have contact. But in terms of, like, the speed of everything, it's pretty well simulated in practice and stuff. So but it'll be nice to see him again. And then, but I'm more, like you said, very, Curtis Samuel's more exciting just because we've seen nothing from him so far. And the best part is we get, we even if it's the vanilla routes, you still get to see Curtis Samuel run, like, slants, out routes, deep routes, like, we're going to see him get some throws on Thursday. So yeah. it, should be, it should be nice to see that now that he's, you know, up to speed and not dealing with that hamstring injury. I just want to see one play where he gets the ball in space just so he, we can watch how fast he is. Yep. I don't care if he's running side, like horizontally or up the field or backwards or what. I just want to watch him run fast. I'm sure he's going to run line up purely as a wide receiver in the preseason because yeah. Carolina's definitely not going to tip their hand as far as far as what they want to do with him. Yeah, I mean we've split McCaffrey out wide a little bit, but I think it's nothing too far out of like what you see a lot of teams do, where they just motion backs out of the backfield to get them in space. It's not like we're doing anything like we talked about seeing in practice uh, the Wildcat with McCaffrey 
and stuff like that. Yep. Got anything to add there, Brad? Actually, no, I don't. John pretty much covered it. Oh, look at me. <laughs> look at me go. Look at John taking everybody's <laughs> takes away from him. Taking all the thunder. Yeah, you guys make fun of me every time we get on here, and then I'm just going to steal I'm just gonna steal the show. I'm going to be the superstar here. <laughs> yeah, sure you are, buddy. Sure you are. <laughs> you call um, me Zach Sanchez enough. I'm going to – the motivation, motivator. So we talked about this in our little chat recently, but our we're going to introduce our uh, hot takes segment here. Um, where we have our own little hot takes to introduce because, you know, why wouldn't it be football without hot takes? So, uh, John, I hear your hot take is uh, pretty sizzling right now. What do you have to say about I don't about even think it's that hot of a take. Like, that was oh, come on. It, it is a hot take. It's, hot for, it's a hot take for Panthers fans, but I feel like if you go outside of this fan base and people that want, like, and you ask them, like, how good of a running back is Jonathan Stewart, nobody's going to be like, oh, he's fine. Like, <clears throat> He's. I know his back, like his run blocking, was been was less than stellar last year, but like he's gone three years in a row where he's gone down in yards per carry, and he last year was something putrid, like low threes. And I'm gonna look it up real quick. Uh, and just and then this preseason hasn't been any different. I know it's just the preseason, but like. Let's see, last year was 3.8, so it's better than I thought. But so 3.8 yards per carry after going 4.1, 4.6. He's just very clearly the lower body injuries and being 30 years old have caught up to him. Uh, he's just, he's not explosive. I get that he breaks like a billion tackles, but the problem is like as each year progresses, those tackles are starting further in the backfield because it takes him longer to get going. And even when he breaks these tackles, he's not accelerating out of them because he's just losing his burst. And that's not to say he's bad. I'm not saying he's like a below average running back. But I just, I don't think, I think calling him a stud running back or calling him a top tier running back is an extreme overrating of him. I feel like he could be pretty easily replaced at this stage of his career with any other big, bruising, not very fast running back. Sizzling, sizzling I mean, take. Look, look at surface like, what, of the sun hot. <laughs> it's not. It's like look at what I know. Like look at what McCaffrey has done behind the same offensive line in this preseason. Like Stewart's gotten six carries and gone twelve yards with him, and McCaffrey's gotten over that in two different no, like three different carries on their own have gone for longer than that. But you have to I remember too the personnel and the uh, the personnel and the play calling is a little bit different too. I just think McCaffrey, like, my thing is, I just think at this point, McCaffrey's probably better than Stewart as a running back, just straight up. Like, he's, <laughs> he, he probably is. Like, he can't, he doesn't have the power, obviously, that Stewart still does. But if you're, like, who would you say is more likely in a given game to go off for, like, 100 yards rushing if they got the same amount of carries? All right, that's a fair point. Yeah, like I, I'll give you that. If you give them each 20 carries, I'm like McCaffrey is more likely to go for like 120, 140 yards if he breaks off some good ones. And Stewart is mo- more than likely going to go for like 74. And he won't but lose at the same time, often. Stewart might get you more of those tough yards than McCaffrey will. And I think part of that is also 
he makes the yards tougher than they can be. His vision's never been great. He's never one to like duck and bob and weave through all the different holes. He just kind of plows ahead. Um, and as he's gotten older, and like I said, with us burst, he's just not elite anymore. He's just okay. He's not he's just, Joe Flacco. I got He's just you. kind of plotting. Like he, he looks like a plotting running back when I watch him play. And it was last year too. It's not just this is not a preseason overreaction. This is a combination of a preseason slight overreaction compared to what I saw last year. And like I said, I know the blocking was bad last year, but granted the personnel and stuff was different. But Fozzie Whitaker and Cameron are spending both average four yards per carry last year to be honest with it. All right, well, so, this is definitely hot takes. They're not better. They're not better players. But I'm basically, basically I'm saying Jalen Stewart's declining, which I don't think is a hot take. I just think we're slower to accept that than life is. You're saying he's less effective than he used to be, which I, I can understand. Definitely. Oh, he's definitely less effective than he used to be. I just think he's also, by being less effective than he used to be, he's gone from being like, top-tier running back talent in the NFL to be an okay running, like a typical, like, you know, run-of-the-mill power back. Like, like what Frank Gore is at this stage in his career, where he just can he'll plot along, he'll break about zero big plays, but he'll get you a solid three or four yards every carry. But that's about it. And then you'll get the, like, the occasional, like, find a crease and get 15 yards, but... That's it's yeah. it's not he's not explosive anymore. He's not explosive enough to carry those seventy yard touchdowns like he did a couple years ago. And I just, yeah, just, I'm sticking to it. He's just okay. <laughs> well, this is hot take central, like we said. I'm, so, I'm uh, not making this up to for for content. Like this is my legitimate feeling. I brought it up a couple days ago and was told that I need to say this with my with my mouth and not just my keyboard. Yeah. I, full I, disclosure I, for those of you listening, he told me this. You know, on in text, you know, a couple days ago, he's not lying. Uh, he's not just saying this to get you to listen. I, I'm the one who told him to say it. So if yeah. you're going to be mad at somebody, re- be mad at me. I replied to the comment. Like somebody said something like, I saw a comment that somebody's like, we're not going to bench our stud running back because of two preseason games. Like, I don't think he's a stud running back anymore. And apparently, and I was told that we need to share that fire take on the podcast. Did not realize it was such a fire take, but here we are. It is a fire take, and I mean, I thought my, you know, James Bradbury is better than Josh Norman take was was hot, but your take's hot. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, we'll see how people I feel the burn from here. It. I'll see how people react to it. I, I don't know. I might need to. I might need to poll some people to get a little survey going. Um, what what other people? It would be interesting to hear what outside of the Panthers fan base is because they don't have the emotional attachment and the nostalgia of, like. Cat Scratch Reader people in particular have – you see Jalen Stewart stiff arms in comment sections like four times a week because we like to regurgitate uh, They are pretty good things. though. Yeah, they're not, I'm not saying they're not good, but we, we share those GIFs all the time, and it's just like, look at how good this guy is, look at how good this guy is. All these GIFs are from at least four years ago. Wait, did by you the say way, GIFs it is or GIFs? GIFs? It's GIFs. It's GIFs. Oh, not my GIFs. God. They're not GIFs. Even hotter than the John That's Stewart an even take. hotter take than your Stewart <laughs> yeah, take, man. Yeah. Forget the football takes. Let's just go straight into that. How um, how do you pronounce GIF? It's GIF. The it's div- a GIF. Uh, let's, Stephen White 
It's spelled G-I-F. Stephen Wilhite, the inventor of the widely used web illustration, declared it should be pronounced GIF, like the brand of peanut butter. The inventor says it's GIF. I'm calling it a GIF because well, I I'm always read words right. I'm glad his life is a lie because that's what he's living right now. No, he, he invented it. I've always read it as GIF, and I felt so validated the first time I realized okay. that the inventor called it GIF. And I've always felt so weird that people called it GIF because that's not right. That's just totally wrong. Even though I understand that argument, and the guy who created it can call it whatever he wants, but it stands for graphics interchange format, not Thank graphics you. interchange format. It's GIF, okay, not it GIF. For. It says it's it's GIF. We're gonna so fight for real <laughs> on this one. <laughs> so before I, we get derailed too much about this argument, no, this is important. This is good. This this is not that important for the fourth and short podcast, guys. I'm sorry. It's we can we can agree that John's wrong and move on with our lives. Um, so, BW, elaborate on your James Bradbury take because I'm not doing this whole GIF gift thing tonight. <laughs> we can um, have our own fucking episode for that. Yeah, we we need to do that. I, I've shared it on here. If you go back and listen to previous episodes, um, I haven't. Well, you not should. one second, um, you know, <laughs> but I'll say it again because you're lazy, but whatever. Um, James Bradbury is a better cornerback than Josh Norman, and it comes down to several things. Number one, Josh Norman wasn't good at all until his third or fourth year in the league. Like he was benched for the first two years, you know, two and a half years of his career, he wasn't even on the field. He wasn't, he wasn't good. And when he finally got on the field, yeah, he makes some nice plays. He he makes a couple of nice interceptions, but he's overrated. He guesses too much. He jumps routes too much. He gets exposed. Uh, like that play in Buffalo, um, the, the gif of that play yeah. in Buffalo that, um, that Billy shared in his, his video article um, about the same thing that happened in the Titans game. You know, Josh Norman got beat like a drum because he guessed wrong. Uh, he, he does that a lot. And Bradbury doesn't really do that. Bradbury is, is a smarter player. He's a better corner, and he's cheaper. Josh Norman costs, what, $13 million a year or something like oh, that? More than that, 15 or more, 16 you know, million. 15 or $16 million a year? Yeah, I mean, he's... He's not worth that kind of money. Washington were dummies for giving him that much money. I'm I'm actually glad that the Panthers did not sign him to that, well, whatever it was, four-year, $80 million or whatever it was they gave him because he's not worth it. So to play devil's advocate here, um, Norman played his first, his rookie year, but Carolina really didn't have anything better. And he sucked, obviously. He led the defensive backfield in tackles, which is not a good thing for a, for a rookie defensive rookie defensive back. And in his second year, he ended up getting benched. And then his third year, he made it to the second half of the season, started playing well, and then his fourth year was the breakout year. Now Carolina's front seven is, you know, one of the better ones in the league. And they play a heavy zone defense still, obviously. And Norman seems to have corrected the dumb mistakes he's made. But at the same time, we've seen, you know, like I mentioned before, 
he allowed Odell Beckham 15, 20 yards downfield to be wide open because he jumped a route. But that play didn't happen because he jumped a route knowing that Eli's reads would not have allowed Beckham would have had, would have been like his fourth read on that play. So the intellectual aspect of the game is some, certainly not to be downplayed. Do you really, do you think that Bradbury is on that same level with the uh, intellectual aspect of it as Norman is now? Not as he is now. I will give Norman credit for that, but compared to Norman's second year in the league, uh, Bradbury is far and away above what Norman was at that point. And I do think that when Bradbury has four years experience in the NFL, I think he will be on that level with what Norman is now, if not better. And, you know, using your example of the, the Giants game with, with OBJ, the Panthers were a dropped pass away from Norman being beaten like a drum. And like the Panthers right the lose the game, right? at the beginning of the game. Eli, I mean, he lofted a ball perfectly into OBJ's arms that somehow he got behind Norman and he just dropped it. I mean, he was in the end zone and he dropped it. It was an easy touchdown that Norman would have given up had um, Beckham caught the ball. And, Nobody talks about that because, you know, he didn't score. But to me, that still counts as a bad play from Norman because he got beat. You know, the end result wasn't a touchdown, luckily, because, you know, Beckham dropped the ball. But that play was successful except for that one part that was outside of Norman's control. But he got beat, and he got beat several times in that game by by Beckham. And it just it just showed – how he can be exposed by a good wide receiver. Now, there's not that much shame in getting beat by OBJ because he's one of the best wide receivers in the NFC, even though he's a punk. Um, but it just it, it just goes to show you that Josh Norman is overrated. I think he can easily be – not easily, but he can be beat by speed like Richard Sherman. Yeah. He's not fast, as it was pointed out at no, he, he's not fast at all. He ran like a 4.74 at the combine. It's 4.66 because I remember reading that every single day. Oh, yeah, that, that is right. <laughs> Back when we drafted him. Yeah. Yeah, Norman 4.66 corner is never what? good. Nobody's ever been that slow and good. It's not possible. I read that every single day all those years ago. It's, it's burned into my memory. I mean, it's not about speed with Norman. It's obviously about length, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Beckham's got game-breaking speed. Not yeah. many corners in the NFL can keep up with him, so no. yeah, that makes sense, but Bradbury Bradbury isn't, is faster, but not all that much faster, so Bradbury's it's going to be time? I don't remember, but he's definitely not like Patrick Peterson level speed with that. He's probably, I believe he was like four six four five area yeah, Bradbury. I think it was in the four or five range. It, it it was faster than Norman, I believe, but not four or five much. exactly. Well, that's why he was taken in the second round because athletically speaking, he's a little bit more athletic than Norman, but he's got the same length as Norman too. So that's not necess- that that's not necessarily a scorching hot take, but at the same time, we can't downplay the fact that Norman worked really, really, really hard to get where he got to. I mean, we call him a punk in the about how the smack talk he talks, but that guy worked really hard to get to where he is now. That yeah. guy's work ethic to get there was paramount to where he is now. So, yeah. I, I go wanna, ahead. I want to share a James Bradbury take when I looked up his uh, combine, his 40-yard time. 
Uh, NL.com gave him a 4.93 grade, which falls into the should be in an NFL training camp tier, just below 50-50 chance to make an NFL roster. So, oh, <laughs> nice, nice call there, NFL official draft combine coverage. Well, um, part of that is that everybody except for Bradbury felt he should play safety, if you remember that. I didn't remember um, that. Yeah, and the only reason he played at Samford was because that every college team who scouted him wanted him to play safety. Oh, and he didn't want to do that. So Samford was the team that was like, hey, we'll let you play corner for us. And that was the same thing. That was the same concern with him going into the NFL was that they felt that he should be a safety and he didn't want to be. So it just sounds like the skill set wise, he seems like a better safety, but he's got his niche there or niche, I should say. And, uh, made it work obviously with Carolina and they're just, they're very zone heavy off coverage scheme. So I don't trust evaluators that say players have to switch positions. Um, because it, it's like, I, I think I said this last week, it like when you watch the NFL draft, every tackle taken after like the first four or five, uh, Mel Kuyper and Mike Mayock and Todd McShay all think they need to kick inside the guard. So the, judging by what they say, there's about four tackles and uh, 146 guards in each class. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, uh, I don't know. It just seems like, like if they've been playing at a certain position and succeeding there, they're more than likely going to succeed at that position than another in the NFL. I know there's exceptions, but it's like if a guy's been playing corner his whole life and they're like, nah, when you get to the highest level there is, we're going to switch you to something else. It just doesn't seem like a recipe for success. Right. Like, if they're that good at safety, why don't they play safety at lower levels? Yeah, I agree with that. Like, we saw how well that worked with, like, Nate Chandler and well, so, uh, so forth. Speaking of safeties, um, one of the players in the Panthers roster who is a cornerback, some people said that he might be a better safety in the NFL, and I'm going to name drop him now. It's uh, Daryl Worley. So, uh... My hot take has been I feel he's been severely overhyped in this offseason. And my biggest evidence right now is the Titans game. Um, We were talking about that play where... uh, What's his face? Um, Delaney Walker. Delaney Walker, there we go. The tight end for the Titans, Delaney Walker, had that easy, easy easy-looking touchdown. And at first, Billy mentioned that it looked like it was Michael Adams' fault, but Michael Adams had the curl route covered, and it seemed like it was Worley's fault. And in that game, Worley gave up several completions. And, you know, we obviously alluded to this earlier in the podcast, or specifically I did, but Worley just looking at him on the field, I don't think he's bad. I don't think that he's not going to be starter-level material, but I think he's got some work to go with. Uh when I watch him right now in the zone coverage and the off coverage, he reminds me a lot of Josh Norman in his early years. And the thing about Norman at that time was he was playing off coverage and the guy didn't break off like a 15, 20, 30 yard completion off of like a seven to eight yard catch. But those catches still happened. He wasn't breaking fast enough on those routes, not reading them fast enough to break the pass up. And that's kind of what I see with Worley right now is the, more of a hesitation, more of a, uh, you know, not sure what he's looking at. And then when the ball's thrown, he's not there fast enough to stop it. 
that's kind of what I see with him. And it seems like he doesn't quite, he's not quite there with the zone understanding of like, okay, this route underneath is not my responsibility. And I need to go backwards because there might be something coming behind me as evidenced by the Delaney Walker play. I kind of think that Munderland may be a better fit on the outside in those two cornerback sets right now, simply because of that veteran presence. I mean, I think Munderland gets undeserved flack from everybody because, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's not great, but he's not as bad as he gets made out to be. There's, there's, there's no corner in the league. Like, not everybody's going to be like Chris Gamble was or Josh Norman was or James Bradbury is. Like, you're not going to ever have two of those guys. Like, somebody's going to get picked on a little bit. And that's just how, that's how, what happens when you have a salary cap and 53 players you have to fit under it. Exactly. And, uh, Worley seems like the guy who's going to get picked on if he ends up starting outside. For and obviously sure. Carroll, he's going he's gonna to play on the outside regardless because there's no reason not to put Munnerlin at nickel when they have a nickel set. So at that point, it's like, okay, James Bradbury up and coming, possibly shut down nickel corner or shut down corner. And then you got nickel corner, Captain Munnerlin, one of the better ones in the league when he's in the inside. Who are you going to pick on? Worley. So... Worley may have some growing pains going on. I like I've seen, you know, those great plays in training camp where he was one-on-one with guys like Kelvin Benjamin and Devin Funches and like man coverage in those single drills, but that's not how it works. in the actual NFL, there's a lot of combo routes, a lot of zone breakers, you know, he's got to learn to capital. He's got to learn to play those. It's not just about being one-on-one with the guy and breaking up the pass. It's about knowing where you're supposed to be and being in the right position to make a play on the pass in those, in the 11 and 11, you know, actual game situations. Yeah. So your, your, your take is that Worley's more mentally got a ways to go more so than, uh, physically for what it's worth. Exactly. Um, the Panthers started off the game with Worley and Bradbury outside. Um, yeah. So the, the team seems to trust, Worley on the outside, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's not a job that Munnerlin can take pretty, like that's, that's, I would say that's up for grabs is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So many words. Well, it's the preseason too. I mean, it makes sense to have Worley playing on the outside because yeah. there's no stakes involved. Like that's where he's going to play. He's not going to play nickel. Yeah. The guy is just not fit to play nickel. So it's like, why are you going to have him play on the outside? And Munnerlin obviously deserves the outside reps, but at the same time, he's a veteran, you know. See what like, you got and Worley let him get You kind of know what you have with them. Yeah. We're like, yeah, obviously Worley, Worley's going to be the more physical run defender and Worley's, you know, prototypically what you want on the outside. I just don't know if he's there yet compared to Captain Munnerlin on the intellectual and, uh, you know, player side of it with the, with the uh, <laughs> recognition aspect of it. That was nice. So. Um, yep. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, the one thing that's nice about Captain Munnerlin is if he were to, uh, you know, that he's a home run hitter on the defensive end, and that if he gets an interception, he's probably going to score. Yep. Because isn't he? He has like an insane. He like, has the team record for most interceptions returned for a touchdown with five. And he probably has like eight career intercept- interceptions. Eleven. Eleven. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's almost 50-50. Eight, 
Yeah, it's 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 seven in Carolina and four in Minnesota. Uh, okay. BW over here straightens glasses. Actually, these are Captain Munnerlyn's <laughs> statistics. Yeah. Well, I only know this because I did the countdown piece on Captain Munnerlyn oh. like a couple of weeks ago, and I I put uh-huh. that in. But see, see, uh-huh. here's the thing: he has four interceptions for the Vikings, but no touchdowns. So for the Panthers, he has seven interceptions and five touchdowns. And yes, he literally scores a touchdown five out of seven times. And in, in his 2012, his last two years here, before he came back, he had two interceptions each year, and both were touchdowns. That's 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 got to be an NFL record for like touchdown interception to touchdown ratio for more than like one or two interceptions. Like that's I don't know. That's just that's just weird. Yep statistical anomaly because it's well now he's gonna he has the benefit he's the beneficiary now of having a really good front seven in front of him too yeah so like, well like we and they're gonna blitz him too like they did that with leonard with uh oh god what was leonard, johnson? leonard johnson yep they'll blitz leonard they blitzed him they'll blitz him like they did with leonard johnson he'll fill in for the uh big nickel guy yeah and some of the safety blitzes like Munderland's gonna thrive with Carolina next he year, had, even if he's ju- even if he exclusively plays nickel. He had three and a half sacks his last year here. Yep, that's a lot for a cornerback. That's more oh, than yeah, a lot definitely. of our defensive ends get. All right, so we're uh, we're getting to the hour mark here, guys. So uh, I'll start with you, John. Anything? Any last thoughts or anything else you'd like to discuss? Um, something. It's it's tying a little bit to what my like, my final closing thought was last time um kelvin benjamin is not a tight end and kelvin benjamin is not a garbage garbage ass fat awful football player um as shown by his four catches on like four targets with the touchdown um not saying he's elite number one material but he definitely has his place in the nfl and i think his issues with efficiency and stuff will be kind of reduced a little bit if he's not so heavily relied on. I think he's been his role is not to be a top to be like a target monster like an Antonio Brown or Julio Jones, but like he's an he's a mis, he's a mismatch like exploiter. If you can get him in one on one, he makes even makes jot life very difficult for defensive backs. And he's done a good job in the preseason. It reminds me of how he looked in the one game he played before his ter- he tore his ACL and we were all excited about him. Um, hopefully this year coming up is the year we expected out of him in his first year too. And I've definitely seen the burst out of him and the, uh, <clears throat> the motivation. Like he just, you just watch him in the preseason right now and he's running a whole lot differently than he was, yeah. you know, last year during the regular season. It's pretty clear he's more confident and he's more physical. And obviously being at 240 pounds is like the prime of where he should be at. So I agree. I think he's. I think he's returning to the form we saw before he tore his ACL. Um, and as someone who's had knee injuries, I've never torn my ACL, but I've had my kneecap pop out a couple times and had other issues. It takes a long, long time to get over that mentally, and I still am not all the way over it. Like I still play basketball with a little bit more fear and tentativeness than I did back in my late teens and early twenties, just because it's like. It's in the back of your mind because it's such an unpleasant these these experiences traumatize you more than you think they would. Yep. And it takes a long time to realize like oh I can I can step like this and it, it won't it won't give out on me. Yeah, I agree. So Brad, 
Any last thoughts, any last takes you have for us? Well, I don't have any takes. I, I've pretty much taked myself out. Um, <laughs> I'm still reeling from John's Jonathan Stewart take. Uh, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the Panthers do on, on um, Thursday night against Jacksonville. Because uh, this is supposed to be the preseason game that matters. You know, we say that a lot. We say this one, quote unquote, counts or matters or call it a dress rehearsal. Dress rehearsal. You know, we use all these buzzwords, but um, I'm going to close with this thought. Keep in mind that while it is the quote unquote dress rehearsal, most important, vital preseason game, it's still a preseason game. And it doesn't really matter if the Panthers win or lose tomorrow night. What matters is that the first team looks good and nobody gets hurt. Most importantly, as long as the Panthers are winning the game, when the backups start coming into play, we should be happy. It doesn't matter if Jacksonville's third string comes back and beats our third string. What matters is that we don't get outplayed by Chad Henney and Blake Bortles. That's what matters. I can see that. And a fun fact about the preseason goes is uh, the Panthers generally have their worst seasons when the preseason goes well for them. Like those three and one, four and oh preseasons. The Panthers generally suck when those. Oh, I remember that now. The regular season rolls along. Yep. Yeah. We have to go two and two. I kind of want them to lose, honestly. (laughs) Like, so. Starters, Starters go out with like a 20. Eight to nothing lead, and then the third stringers come in at the start of the fourth quarter and just fall apart and lose thirty-one twenty-eight. Now, what I, I would actually be perfectly want to see, fine with that. What I actually want to see is the Panthers starters score twenty-eight points, and the Jaguars first stringers score three points, and then us blow a 20, 28 to three lead. That would be hilarious. <laughs> if we do that. John, you may want to skip next week because twenty-eight <laughs> three jokes will be. Non. I know they're already non-stop. It's been like six and a half months. I mean, for God's sakes, we saw eclipse jokes with that. So <laughs> no, it's that not was even a just, good. It's not even just Panthers fans. It's just like people are like, every time there's like a thing comes up, like, how am I going to make this a twenty-eight to three joke? Yep. Never I kind forget. of agree with your take on it. I, I think it is getting old. Getting old. But I, I thought okay. it got old months ago. <laughs> yes. I, I said it today. As like. Yeah, as it is today, it got old like five and a half months ago. So yeah, and it is old, but if it's a good joke, it's a good joke. Like the eclipse thing, that's a good joke. I don't care if it's a twenty-eight to three joke. That's a good joke. So if you're gonna make a twenty-eight three joke, at least make it a good one. Put some effort into it. Don't just go, you know, herder her twenty-eight three. You know, <laughs> put some thought behind it. I'll say if, yep. if you make a twenty-three joke and it's really clever, I'll acknowledge like yeah, that was clever. I will not laugh at it just because that that punchline has lost its like surprise factor, so that it just it doesn't get a laugh out of me anymore. I can acknowledge if it's well put together, like the eclipse one, like you said. But uh, if you if you want to if you want to get a chuckle out of me, which I know all of you do, um, that won't be the way to totally. do it. Totally, <laughs> totally want to get a laugh out of you, John. It's it's, well, it's it's a tough it's a tough prize to, to obtain. Well, it's something I I plan on working towards for the rest of my life. Good. Um. All right. Well. By I the guess way, this has been the. Four- I got another. Go ahead. I, t- I got uh exclusive. I I sent a text. 
got a one. Re I sent one text, got one response. Also, Jip. So that's two in my pack. Oh my God! Just let it go, John. Nope. You're wrong. Nope. It's GIF. <laughs> it's GIF. Just accept it. Anyway, we're gonna end this before this gets out of hand. Uh, thanks for listening to the Fourth and Short podcast. This is uh, John, or should I say, Gone and uh, Brad Smith. <laughs> gone. <laughs> you guys have a good night. Still you too. Listening.
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Vergecast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.